This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime. We begin our hour this week with the adventures of Philip Marlowe. We'll hear the Orange Dog, his story from January 22, 1949. After that, it's Jeff Regan, Investigator, and the Man with the Key, his story from October 2, 1948. A startled corpse, a blue-eyed woman, and a cryptic message scrawled by a dying man with the pieces of a Chinese puzzle that wouldn't fit together. Until I found out what was deadly about the orange dog. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character as CBS presents... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Orange Dog. By six in the evening of a very slow day, I'd resigned myself to the business of no business, so I took my feet down from my desk Switched off the lights and started out the door for home with the prospect of a nice, quiet evening ahead of me. But I didn't make it. Even as far as the door. Oh. Hello, Philip Marlowe. Marlowe, my name is Shelley Martin. I'm at 8412 Los Feliz, a private residence. I want you to come out here right away. My sister is in a jam, a nasty one. Well, Miss Martin, as a matter of fact, I was just closing up for the night. Look, I was... you... I need the services of a private detective right now this minute. And I'm prepared to pay for them. There are plenty of others in town. Are you coming or not? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And thanks for the reminder. That's me you hear sprinting up your front walk. That's much better. And Marlowe, bring your brains along. You're going to need them. And that was the end of my quiet evening. But I just couldn't resist those government engravings of Mr. Lincoln. So I drove down to Weston, turned off on Los Feliz, and found the number 8412. The yard was an overgrown tangle of perennial plants losing their battle with the weeds. <laughs> it was like a girl in a strapless evening gown with her hair up in curlers. However, I could see a light through the Venetian blinds, and the doorbell worked with a resonant two-tone chime that caused the door to open just far enough to... Allow a pair of eyes so blue they were almost purple to peek out at me. Yes, what is it? I, uh, I'm delivering that private detective you ordered. Oh, Marlowe, come in. Thanks. Sit down, won't you? Thanks again. All right, what's the next move? It's about my kid sister. Mm -hmm. She's involved with a man named Lou Horner, a San Francisco broker. She's quite deeply involved, I'm afraid. Oh? You see... Some very strange things are going on, Marlowe, and my sister is a naive kid caught right in the middle of them. Yeah, I see. What sort of strange things, Miss Martin? Shelley. Sweet. Well, to begin with, when I arrived from San Francisco today, my sister called me and asked me to meet her here in this house. When I got here, the lights were on, the radio was playing, and the front door was open. But the place was deserted. Whose house is it, Horner's? No, I think she said it belongs to a friend of his who's in Europe now. This Horner person uses it when he's in Los Angeles. Well, couldn't they have stepped out for a while? Mm -mm. You know, you don't look the type, Shelley, but maybe you're just panicky, huh? No, I'm not being panicky. All right, all right. Where's the nasty jam? Right behind the couch. Take a look. Okay. But you know, I... Oh, I see what you mean. Who is he, Shelley? How'd he get here? Maybe it's Horner. I don't know. I tried to search him, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Well, it wouldn't have helped anyway. Whoever shot him cleaned him out. No wallet, no papers, nothing. I found this magazine lying under his hand. Look here. Mm -hmm. He must have written this just before he died. Where's that? Here. Oh. It says, call Marion tonight about the orange dog, a foe. Orange dog, a foe. For what? That's why I called you, Phil. Marion is my sister. And whatever the orange dog of foe is, it must be awfully important. We've got to find out what it means, Phil, for Marion's sake. So far, it means murder, honey, and that's for the cops. No, I... Well, all right, call them. But keep Marion's name out of it. A thing like this could destroy her. But look, maybe she pulled the trigger on our friend here. Maybe, you know? but I don't think so. She's a sweet kid, Phil. 
give her a break. If I'm wrong, I swear I'll help you bring her in myself. Is that fair enough? Okay, Shelley, it's a deal. It makes just as much sense as the orange dog of foe, but no more. After I checked as far as I could on my client and set her home, which was the Villa 12 at the Wilshire Gardens Hotel, I ripped the general squeegee tire ad with a message scribbled across it out of the magazine, folded it up and stuck it in my pocket. Next, I called Lieutenant Ibarra at Homicide and told him where I'd found a body, probably named Lou Horner, leaving out all the details about Shelley, Marion, and the orange dog. Then I started out the door, but got back as a shadow slid across the walk. I caught a glimpse of a large, ugly head of long, dirty hair set on a small, ugly body that was moving fast. By the time I got out on the walk, long hair was already putting mileage on a green coupe with a broken taillight. It winked mockingly as it went out of sight. So I got in my car and headed for New Chinatown. It was a logical place to get some information regarding a Chinese dog. I saw a light filtering through a dingy window, illuminating the words James Tang, dealer in Oriental Curios. Inside the musty shop, a little man, dressed in a black kimono, drifted forward softly. Yes? I, uh, uh, think perhaps you can help me, huh? I am honored. To be able to help would bring fragrance of plum blossoms to my nostrils, carpet of rose petals to my humble floor, and thousand blessings upon my head. Oh, that's very pretty. Tell me, what is the dog of foe? The, the dog of foe? Why, why this? This fantastic creature here is called the dog of foe. His fierce eyes and snarling mouth are to frighten away evil spirits from temples of Buddha. Why do you say called the dog of foe? Amateur collectors and auctioneers have named him that. It sounds exotic to Yashka. Actually, he is a lion. The lion of Korea. I see. Tang, would you happen to have an orange dog of foe? Very strange that you should ask that, my friend. Strange why? Reason number one. There is no authentic orange dog of foe. That's a good reason. Why not? Because two Buddhists... Orange is color of sorrow. The piece you speak of could not possibly be authentic. What's reason number two? You are second person to inquire after this non-existent orange dog of fruit within the last few minutes. Was it an ugly little man with long hair? Quite contrary. It was very pretty girl with short hair. Was her name Marion? She made point of not leaving her name. Now that proves something. However, my friend, old Chinese... Proverb, loosely translated, says, A little knowledge is the instrument of a fool. There were nine other curio shops in the neighborhood, so I started making the rounds for the non-existent orange dog of foe and a girl who was interested in one. From the first three shops, I got a fast horse laugh and the fact that the girl was still ahead of me. The next two netted an insult apiece and a total blank on the dame. And from the sixth call, Saxons, a glossy, well-ordered place on West 7th Street, the only effect was a coldly curious raised eyebrow. The man in front of me, whom I took to be Mr. Saxon himself, was a gaunt, white Russian, with a high, naked head the color of warm paraffin. His slender fingers played nervously with each other as we talked. The orange dog of four. Yes, I have heard of such a piece, I think. It would be portless. Probably. This is your business. Who has it, Mr. Saxon? Can you tell me? No, no, I'm sorry. I believe I heard this orange dog mentioned just once, somewhere down in the village. But I'm sure I could never remember who spoke of it or when. Oh, no idea of its value then, huh? Now that you mention it, I seem to remember the figure 20,000. You mean yen? How much in American money? I'm speaking of American money. It would be an importation from China, you know. How could it be worth that much? It's not even authentic, Mr. Saxon. Authentic? You seem to know a good deal more than I about this orange dog. Possibly one would have to see it to appreciate its value. Yeah. Tell me, has a girl been in here tonight looking for this orange dog? A girl? I know. Know anybody named Marion? Marion. Marion. No, there is no one in my acquaintance by that name. But why do you ask? Because Marion has quite an interest in the orange dog. I have a feeling they'd make a great team if we could get them together. I see. And what is your name, sir? It's not Fu Manchu, Mr. Saxon. Good night. 
Saxon's expression didn't change. I turned and walked out of the place, and then because with both of us using double talk, the conversation was bound to deteriorate. At least I had found out that the orange dog of foe existed. It was going for a very high figure, especially for a phony. And it didn't take an abacus to figure out that Saxon knew more than he told me. Well, I started up the sidewalk for the next bric-a-brac emporium when I saw something park on the side street which brought me to a halt. It was that green coupe with the broken taillight. I went over to it, found it empty, and stuck my head inside to check the registration card for Longhair's real name. Yeah, it was a very foolish move because Longhair at that very moment prodded my kidney with the muzzle of a thirty-eight, And neither he nor the gun had a sense of humor. All right, Mr. Wise Guy, come on, walk. You and me are gone up the alley here. What's the matter? Don't you feel at home in the light? Shut up. I don't like it much anyway, so you better ease off with the smart sands. Okay, this will come far enough. Well, Mr. Wise Guy, did you find what you're looking for? You mean the orange dog, Shorty? The answer's no. The orange dog? So that's where the plates are. What plates? You're working for Horner. You don't know what plates. Look, chum, when you get your next haircut, have your brains dusted off. Nobody works for Horner anymore. Horner's dead. Dead? Since when? What's a surprise act for? You saw the body. You were sneaking around that house on Los Feliz. In fact, you might have killed Horner yourself. That body wasn't Horner. Why, Horner's three times the size of that guy on Los Feliz. He's bald. Also, he's so dumb he can't remember his own phone number. Oh, hold it. I'm looking for Van Street where they sell those insulin. I'm sorry, gentlemen. I want Hey, quiet. I'll blow your brains out. All right, now, come on, Mr. Wise Guy. Tell me what Horner's got on his mind. You know all right. I saw you taking orders from his girl. You mean Shelley Martin? Who else? Thought maybe you meant Marion. Marion? Who's Marion? Shelly Martin's sister. And don't let it worry you. Marion's got the orange dog eating out of her hand. I don't say. It ain't funny, mister. It's just peculiar. Because Shelly Martin don't have a sister, I know. So it seems like you're a very mixed-up character. In fact, Mr. Wise Guy, you're so mixed up, you're no good to me at all. So get over there with the rest of that. Oh! <laughs> took my time getting up. The dirty, long-haired little man was gone. My headache from the rap had given me with a pistol barrel. And I was disgusted with myself. Dry, dirty, disgusted like a drunk at sunrise because a nasty little jerk with an oversized head and a blue-eyed dynamo with auburn hair had me jumping through hoops like a trained ape. I stood in the alley and swore at myself until the futility of that routine dawned on me. Then I decided to go hunting. But I made one stop first at a telephone to at least get Ibarra off my conscience. Lieutenant Ibarra. Hello, Lieutenant. I just found out that body on Los Feliz isn't Horner. I knew that an hour ago. Huh? The body isn't Horner, isn't Horner, is no broke. He's a counterfeiter, a big one. No. The dead man was a treasury agent named Slade who was closing in on Horner. So if you've got anything you haven't told, Phil, you better get it off your chest. At this point, it's a pleasure. A girl named Shelley Martin's calling the signals about now, and she can be found at Villa 12, Wilshire Gardens Hotel. Mm-hmm. You hurry, you'll just about meet me there, Ibarra. Now, wait. Suppose you go along and find out what you can first. That's a switch. I'll follow in half an hour. Let's not freeze her up, Marlo. Let's keep her talking, okay? Okay, Ibarra. That's easy for her. She's got a forked tongue. Only this time it's going to wag strictly on the straight and narrow. I guarantee it. just a moment, we will return to the second act of the adventures of Philip Marlowe. But first, it's no mystery that hunger and cold confront many families abroad this winter. CARE will help feed and clothe these needy people. CARE, the safe, sure, non-profit way to send supplies to Europe and Asia. A check to CARE for $10 will send a 21.5-pound, 41,000-calorie food package, or a baby food package, or a layette, or a baby blanket package, or material for clothing. CARE guarantees delivery. You get a signed receipt that your package has reached its destination. Write your check tonight. Mail it first thing in the morning to CARE, C-A-R-E, 50 Broad Street, New York City. And now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Orange Dog. 
pointed my car toward the Wilshire Gardens and a beautiful liar named Shelley Martin. I was sure of two things. The plates that long-haired wise cracked about just before he piled me into a row of garbage cans were the engraved kind that counterfeiters used to make money the easy way. And second, both Long Hair and Lou Horner were racing for the plates as well as the orange dog, which could be one and the same thing. But 20 minutes later, as I pulled up near Villa 12, which was strips of yellow light, raised voices drifting out of half-open Venetian blinds, I forgot about the gentleman involved and concentrated on a lady who didn't have a sister called Marion. I went around to the back of the villa where I found the service door unlocked and the kitchen beyond dark. And when I entered and quietly moved to a spot near the living room where I could see Shelley snapping at a pompous, excitable man with a red face, right, I figured that a little eavesdropping might pay off. I'm here in Los Angeles. Is there anything wrong with that, Mr. Horner? Yes, everything. Why, I wouldn't even have known you were in town if I hadn't gone back to the place in Los Feliz where I saw you and some man having a delightful little chit-chat over the body of that tea man. Treasury Yes. Is that who he was? A meddlesome fool I caught snooping through my papers. Then... Then you killed him, Lou. Of course I killed him. I had to. Now stop asking questions and get out of here. Because this is business, not pleasure, Shelley. And that leaves no room for you. Or Marion. What do you know about Marion? Not enough. But what I do know, I don't like. Look, Lou. Who is Marion and what does she mean to you? Marion means money to me, Shelley. Nothing more. So just leave me alone here so that I can make a call according to schedule. A call about... Lou. What's the matter, Shelley? Behind you, Lou. They're in the garden. Oh! Oh! The crash through a closed window didn't stop until it got the Horner who grabbed at his chest and dropped to the floor even before the glass quit flying. And by the time I got outside to where the shot had come from, I found nothing but a little wind rustling a lot of trees. When I got back to Shelley and the blood of a tweet on the carpet, Horner was already dead. Marlowe. Marlowe, the man out there was Henry Peel. Peel? Something in long hair and dirty clothes? Yes, I met him in Horner's office once. Lou said he was a broker from Chicago. Come on, both Peel and Horner are counterfeiters. What? Lou, a counterfeiter? That's right. Never mind the carefully arched eyebrows, honey. They mean nothing. But, Marlowe, I swear I never knew that Horner was anything but a broker. A broker maltreating poor sister Marion? You're a liar, Shelley. About Marion, yes. I haven't even got a sister. But from there on out, I'm telling the truth, Phil. Then tell some more and fast. All right, here it is. Lou Horner's been my boyfriend. And, uh, checkbook? For the past year and a half. But about a month ago, he suddenly stopped being very attentive. And I couldn't figure out why. So you decided to keep your big blue eyes wide open, huh? Exactly. And it paid off. Because I found out that, one, he had taken better than $20,000 out of his bank account. Two, that he was coming down here to Los Angeles. And three, that an item named Marion might be beating your time. Yes. And that part of it upset me plenty. Until ten minutes ago. But then I found out that Horner here was a murderer, and that, Marlowe, I don't buy. Three cheers for the all-American girl. Oh, skip it, Marlowe. I'll live my way. You live yours. Don't worry, honey. Nobody wants to change places with you. Hey. Hey, look. Why does Horner wear a little rubber band on his little finger, do you know? Oh, he had a bad memory. Used every kind of gadget in the books to keep himself from forgetting things, especially numbers. Oh. Oh, for example, that rubber band might mean ten o'clock. How do you figure? Like five and five. The fingers on each hand, reading from left to right. Use things like that. Oh. Wait a minute. Hmm? Horner was going to make a call to Marion just now, and the message the tea man left was... Call Marion tonight about... About the orange dog of foal. Shelly, baby, where's your phone? Fast. Come on, it's quarter after ten already. Well, it's out there in the hall, Marlowe. Oh. What are you talking about? A line, honey, a line on your ex-sister, Marion. Ah, uh, Lou Horner, Mr. Saxon. I, I, I know I'm some 15 minutes late with this call, but I'd still like to see you about the orange dog of foal. Certainly, Mr. Horner. The orange dog is here, waiting for you. Good. I'll be right over. Hello, who is Mr. Saxon? A man very close to a lot of trouble, Shelley. Now, look, you wait right here for the law, and in particular, one Lieutenant Ibarra. Tell him nothing but the truth about Horner and what he meant to you in dollars and cents, and you may be all right. But where are you going, Marlowe? To a curio shop on West 7th Street to see, among other things, the orange dog of foal. You are the Mr. Horner who called? 
Yeah, yeah. Also the one who was here this afternoon, you remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry I didn't call you at 10, Mr. Saxon, according to schedule. I hope it hasn't inconvenienced you. No, that's quite all right, Mr. Horner. One moment, sir. Ah. What's the matter? Is anything wrong tonight? You seem on edge, Mr. Saxon. I am. So please, Mr. Horner, don't make a single stupid move. What? Wait a minute. Why the gun, Mr. Saxon? I promise not to bite the orange dog. You won't even touch the orange dog. Now, who are you? Now, we've been all through that. I'm Horner, Saxon. Lou Horner of San Francisco. No, you're not. Horner would have had no reason to wander around curio shops as you did this afternoon, asking any and everybody about the orange dog. Now, once more, who are you? And where is the real Lou Horner? All right, we'll take him in that order. I'm a private detective named Philip Marlowe, and Lou Horner's a corpse. Hmm. But also, I'm a good friend of yours, Saxon, because... I'm going to give you a little bit of advice for free. Call it quits, Buster. You're licked. What are you talking about, Marlowe? A tea for treasury man named Slade. Before he died, Saxon, he talked. I see. And believe me, he said enough to put you away. Lawrence dogs are as popular as lifesavers. What do you say, Saxon? Do we play it smart? Very well, Marlowe. We will play it smart. My kind of smart. Now, turn around and walk through that curtain there. I want to show you something. Orange dog, maybe? Yes. The orange dog of foe. I want you to see it for yourself before you die. Saxon said die like it already happened. And after he relieved me of the comforting bulge of the gun in my pocket and marched me to a large, windowless room that was a little darker than the lining of an eight ball, he told me to stand very still. Then he turned on a single lamp that rested on a large, scarred table, and next to it, an ordinary shipping crate and cushioned on all sides by white wrapping paper. I finally saw the orange dog full. It was a porcelain lion, pop-eyed, majestic in a crazy way. And also it was colored orange, bright and clear. But now that I'd seen it, I knew that the next move was Saxon's. I turned to face him. It was then that I noticed the black curtain behind him moved slightly. And long hair quietly stepped into the room. This Mr. Saxon did not know about. Well, Marlowe, now that you have seen the orange dog for your first and last time, what do you think of it? He thinks it's just just dirty, mister. Now drop your gun before I blow the top of your head off. Come on, drop it. It's better. Now sit down there and stay put. You, Marlowe, get across the room. Okay. Thanks for showing up, Peel, before Saxon here ran out of small jokes. Don't kid yourself, Marlowe. I didn't just show up. I've been right behind you all the way. That's how I work. So what do you want, Peel? A couple of very fine engraved plates that I've been after for six months now. Plates which could be in the orange dog of foe? No place else but. Or do you think that maybe the late Mr. Horner wanted as an ornament? But that's all it is. There are no plates in the orange dog. It is only a collector's item. And you're a liar, Saxon. And I know the best way to prove that. Marlowe, pick that thing up and toss it against the wall. No, no, don't. I tell you there's nothing in it. Toss it, Marlowe. Go on. Okay, Phil. Ah. Now, we'll see who's right about the plates being here. Nothing, huh, Peel? Ah. Nothing. All right, Saxon, get up. I want to know what the plates are, so I'm going to count to three. That's how long you have to live if you don't tell me. No, no. Peel, believe me, there are no plates. One. Two. Hold it, Peel. Wait. Here are the plates here. In this jewel box. Look, I... right here. Under your nose. <laughs> Is he... is he out, Marlowe? Yeah, he's out all right. He took the light with him, too. Is there... is there another lamp in here? No, no, there isn't. Nor is there another gun. Why, you stinking little... Wait a minute, those sirens, Saxon, they're heading this way. Police? Yeah, the police. Looks like sooner or later everybody gets together in the back room at Saxon's, But not everybody stays here, so I'll take this wrapping paper and leave now. Wrapping paper? The stuff that was around the orange dog? Yes, a sample of the best grade of counterfeiting paper made, Marlowe. And that's what Horner was supposed to buy, not plates, those he got a month ago. Still makes you a crook, Saxon, and one will never get past the front door. Oh, no, we'll see about that. Marlowe! Keep shooting, Saxon, in the dark. You got four shots left. You filthy murderer! Only one now, Saxon. That's number six. You're through, Saxon. By the time
time Ibarra and his boys, plus a half a dozen very anxious team men, got into the room, Saxon was already coming apart at the seams. After a half hour of steady questioning, he split wide open and led us all to a basement hideout where the team men went wild over a few thousand sheets of A1 counterfeiting paper. But an hour later, after Peel, who admitted murdering Lou Horner, and Saxon, who was ready for the nearest straitjacket, were both in the lockup, there was still the problem of the glib lass from San Francisco. But finally, when Shelley, Lieutenant Ibarra, and I stood at the green light of the globe in front of police headquarters, I knew that the girl who technically was only guilty of withholding information from the police was not going to spend any time in the pokey. Because, after all, I was more or less guilty of the same thing. Besides... Lieutenant Ibarra was still interested in the others. Well, Marlo, it looks like the whole business actually boils down to a single transaction between Clay Saxon, who had the counterfeiting paper, and Lou Horner, who was supposed to buy it. That's right, Ibarra. But Horner, who must have made his contact with Saxon via some middleman in San Francisco, only had a telephone number and the password, the orange dog of foe, to work on here in L.A. But how do you get hold of that number, Phil? From the message the T-man left before he died. You mean you actually called someone named Marion? No, honey. I just dialed Marion. M A Madison. R I O N seven four six six. Madison seven four six six. You get it? Yeah. <laughs> Another one of Horner's screwy memory tricks. Like the rubber band on his tenth finger. Hey, that's pretty good, Phil. Ah, oh, it's an old gimmick, really. I read it in a dozen detective stories. What do you know? Maybe I ought to read some of those. <laughs> well, good night, fella. Look for you tomorrow. Good night, Lieutenant. Well, Shelley, do I, uh, do I show you the way home? No, Marla. Aren't you hungry or thirsty or something? Yeah, yeah, I uh, guess I am at that. Well, I know just the place for us, darling. Oh? It's a cute little place right smack in the middle of Chinatown. <laughs> Well, we got through a small Chinese dinner without seeing or hearing from a single orange dog. And when it came time to leave, I was thinking that Shelley wasn't really too bad a kid at that. So when she left the table to powder her nose, I started to make plans. But when she got back, I forgot about them because in the meantime, she'd run into an old friend. Yeah, a rich old friend who was all alone in the big city. I said I didn't mind taking a rain check when she explained that he was from Kansas City and a broker at that. He certainly was overweight. Too much steak and potatoes. Hmm. Steak and potatoes. Wonder if Lindy's is still open. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, stars Gerald Moore, and is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Francis Robinson, Edgar Barrier, Tony Barrett, Lou Krugman, and Ed Begley. Lieutenant Detective Abar is played by Jeff Corey. The special music was by Richard Oran. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... I was hired to find a blackmailer, and I did. But first I found a badly beaten Adonis, a Jezebel with an accent, and a man who had been an easy mark for murder. Ninety minutes of unsurpassed comedy comes to you every Sunday night when CBS brings you the Spike Jones Show, the Jack Benny Show, and Amos and Andy in succession. Tomorrow night, pianist Alec Templeton and songstress Peggy Mann are Spike Jones' special guests. Jack Benny and his gang and Amos and Andy, following in succession, will bring you more of the laughs that make them first for Sunday night fun. Spike Jones and Amos and Andy come to you over most of these same CBS network stations, and Jack Benny comes to you over them all. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
My name's Jeff Regan. I get ten-a-day-in expenses from a detective bureau run by a guy named Anthony J. Lyon. They call me the Lion's Eye. With Jack Webb as Jeff Regan investigator, stand by for hard-boiled action and mystery and thrilling adventure in tonight's story of The Man with the Key. block above Wilton on Hollywood Boulevard, there's a street they call Taft. It isn't very long. About 48 palm trees and a couple of bad sewers. It figures that the guy who laid it was nearsighted. He didn't see the hill three blocks away. That kind of a tired look, like an old lady who's been moving furniture. There's a dirty gray apartment house on the right-hand side of the street. That's my place. 308. A low ceiling and a leaky faucet, a telephone that rings at the wrong time. It was last Monday night, about 11 o'clock. I was in bed listening to the party next door when it rang. It was the lion. Regan, get your clothes on. That the way you sleep? You're going to be busy. we got a new client. Now, tell me all about it in the morning. Special messenger came to my place 15 minutes ago with a C note. Any good? It was from somebody named Dora King. Who's that? That's what you're going to find out. I can see better in the daytime. She's waiting for you right now. Oh, yeah. At a place on La Brea called the Southerner. Should I take my banjo? Don't be funny. She wants to talk to you, so get over there. What does she want to talk about? How would I know? Well, don't you ever check into things? That's what I pay you for. All right, where's last week's salary? You'll get it. When? As soon as I find out if your expenses were legit. Now get busy. That all? No, call me right after you've seen it. Why? I want to know what's what. You mean you want to know if she can afford more than a C-note? You're getting out of line. That's what they told Gypsy Rose Lee. Well, I got over there about 11.30. Turned out to be a small place. Long on the shadows and short on the whiskey. There was a bald-headed guy playing a piano in one corner. I guess he'd been inside for a long time, because... He'd never been out for a music lesson. The bartender was the only other guy in the joint. His name couldn't have been Dora King. So I went to work on a straight shot and waited. Two drinks later, a girl in a black dress walked in. She took in the piano player and the bartender and me. I won. She started toward me with a slow, easy kind of a walk like a panther looking for breakfast. When she oozed onto the stool beside me, the bartender got damp all over the air conditioning wasn't doing him any good. What'll it be, man? You make it the same as me. Okay, I'm looking in water. You got a mask? Yeah. You got a cigarette? Mm-hmm. You got a name? Maybe. I'll bet it's Regan. All right, you got that much. My name's Dora Key. I'm sorry I'm late. You ever on time when you meet a guy? No. Your money, you can spend it any way you want. You always this nice to customers. I don't get paid to be nice. What do you get paid for? You got a story? Mm, I haven't had my drink yet. Hey, you! Coming up, coming up. I'm just propelled. Here you are, man. Hey, hot night, ain't it? You waiting for the weather to change? It ain't gonna change in here, brother. What's your first name? Jeff. Hmm. I don't like it. Neither do I. I'm going to call you Regan. All right, let's start calling. Have you got a license? Covers up a hole in my wall. Have you got something that says you're what you say you are? Uh, Here. Hmm, the lion's eye. Six feet, 170. Well, nine. You fit? Yeah, I got a mole on my left shoulder. (laughs) Let me see it. You passed. Okay, you won the toss. Let's kick off. Well, this isn't where we play. We'll go in my car. Where? You'll find out when you get there. Maybe I won't like the field. You trust me, don't you? No. You're... Fill her up again? We're just leaving. Floor show starts in a couple of minutes. That uh, piano player going to be in it? Yeah, he's my brother. He's going to play something he wrote himself. Any good? Stinks. Maybe you better go. (laughs) 
bartender was pouring himself four fingers of rye and about a fingernail of water when we walked out of there. We climbed into a big Nash convertible, parked in front of the place, and headed for Santa Monica Boulevard. Then we turned east, past Western, down to Vermont, and south to Marathon. All at once, we were climbing a hill on a dark street that gave us a view of the city. Twenty years ago, a real estate broker might have had something, but now it was just an old neighborhood with a sad look, like a toe dancer with a short leg. Nobody said anything. I was beginning to have a feeling that maybe she'd forgot her compass when she slowed the car down. She pointed to a two-story house in the middle of the block, and I nodded. Then she shoved the car in second, spun around the corner, and came to a stop. I got out and walked around to let her out. She didn't move. End of the line. Short fare. Time for you to go to work. What kind of work? The white place back there, 3936. You saw it? It came through. It's a boarding house. I already got a room. On the second floor, number 10. Knock twice. Prohibition's dead, lady. There's a man there. His name's Bender. Ben Bender. That'll wake him up. He's expecting you. You're quitting? My job's finished. You're the new help. Well, what do I do? He'll tell you. That all? One thing more. Me. Yeah. Part of my fee? That's extra. I don't generally get tipped. Just for luck. You act like I'm going to need lots of it. You are. When do I see you again? You don't. Goodbye, gorgeous. I stood there and watched her drive away. And then I noticed it. Somebody in a black coupe coasted around the corner, kicked into high gear at the bottom of the hill. I kept watching, but whoever it was hadn't read the traffic laws lately. He didn't use his lights for two blocks. Oh, it registered. It was on a tail job. And Dora was nice to tail. Thirty-nine, thirty-six marathon. Inside, it smelled like stale beer and rotting wood. Room number ten was at the top of the stairs. The door was already open. A thin guy with a hungry look was sitting on the edge of the bed. It was all bones. He didn't get up when I came in. He just kind of looked at me, and his eyes were full of water. All of a sudden, he pulled a bandana out of his pocket and began coughing. <laughs> You're sitting in a draft. All my life. <clears throat> you rigging? A girl with warm lips said I'd find you here. Thanks for coming. Sit down. <laughs> I just got back from a trip. Up north? Yeah. Sanitarium? State said I needed a cure. Did it take? What do you think? They're still coughing. The doctor said I could go. You can give me a going away present. Ten bucks and a suit of clothes. <laughs> it's a bum rap. That's what they all say. Who are you? Ben Bender. Big Ben Bender. Yeah. Does that mean anything to you, Pilgrim? Must have been before my time. Yeah. How old do you think I am? I'm out of practice. You look to 60. Then 45. That's what seven years in the sanitarium will do. <laughs> you ought to get a specialist. Already got one. What's his name? You. No, I'm only an intern. You'll do. All right, what do you want? The guy goes up there, he makes a lot of friends. And a lot of enemies. Sometimes you can't tell one from the other. Does it make any difference? Big Ben don't trust nobody. Now, what about that girl? Dora? Forget her. Her job's done. That's what she said. See this key? Yeah. I wear it around my neck. I want it for seven years. You'll wear it for the next seven hours. Why? Them friends and enemies I was telling you about. What does the key fit? My safety deposit box at the American Security Bank. You'll meet me there. Tomorrow at ten. What if I oversleep? Stay up all night. I'll pay for the no-dose. Just be there. After that? Then your job's finished. <laughs> it's off the softest door you ever made. Look, now, you kept this key seven years. Why can't you keep it for seven more hours? My business. What's in the box? My business. 
Okay. Any of those friends or enemies drive a black coupe, white sidewalls? I don't know. Why? My business. I left him sitting there. He looked as happy as a sword swallower with the hiccups. Well, I put the key in my coat pocket, but it felt hot, like a dynamite stick with a short fuse. If Big Ben had been holding it for so long, somebody else might want it. Maybe somebody who drove that black coupe. Well, I went out the back entrance, walked down an alley, and doubled over five blocks to Vermont. I stopped a cab, and I had him take me over to the lion's place. It was 2.30 in the morning when he opened the front door. He was wrapped in a bathrobe big enough to keep all the silkworms working overtime. What do you want, Regan? Information. You've been drinking? I've been working. What kind of work? Well, I got a key. That all? That's what they say. Who's they? A con named Bender. Ben Bender? That's right. I thought he was doing a long run up in Quentin. Well, he's out now. Where does Dora King fit? Taxi service. She took me to Bender. He gave me the key. Let me see it. All right, here. Safety deposit box. That's right. Nurse made to a hunk of metal until tomorrow at 10. What then? And I meet him at the American Security Bank and turn it over to him. Well, do it. Now, look, big shot, this key's hot. What makes it hot? Whatever's in that box. What's that? How should I know? Find out. You got the key. You got the client. Now, just a minute. Somebody waves a green back at you and you think it's a rainbow. That's enough. Oh, stop it, will you? It's another bum client and you know it. Let me worry about that. If Ben held that key for seven years and won't hold it now, he's scared. What's he going to be scared of? Somebody else who wants in on the play. So what? I'm holding the key. That makes me the clay pigeon. You're getting paid for it? Just be there tomorrow at ten. Alive. Well, I left the lion and went out to the street. Nobody was there. I hailed a cab and he let me off in front of my place. Nobody was there. I opened the front door of my apartment. Nobody was there. It began to feel like a good bet for the Lonely Hearts Club. It was a good feeling. I sat up all that night waiting. Nothing happened. I felt about as popular as a bald-headed chorus girl. Nobody made a play. It was five minutes to ten when I pulled into the parking lot next to the American Security Bank. The car next to me was a black coupe with white sidewalls. It could have been the same one that tailed us the night before. But then I figured there's a lot of cars in L.A. like that. But I leaned in and I looked at the registration. This one belonged to a guy named Al Spandy, who lived in Van Nuys. I wrote the address down and walked into the bank. The guard in a blue uniform waved me downstairs to the safety deposit box. It was ten, and still nothing happened. I began to feel kind of relieved, like a flagpole sitter when the wind died down. Big Ben hadn't showed yet. The only one there was a blonde sitting in a glass cage in front of the vault. She looked at me, and I began to wonder what she did on her days off. Good morning. May I help you? Yeah, I want to see if the rent on my box has been paid. Here's the key. Mm -hmm. 60B. Just a minute. I'll take a look. 60B. 60B's all paid for. Well, I guess my partner must have taken care of it. This isn't a joint box. You're the only one who can get into it, Mr. Bender. Would you like to go in now? No, I'm waiting for somebody. We're all waiting for somebody. I'm waiting for a man. So am I. Been waiting long? Years. Here? Yes. Better places to wait. The ones with money keep coming here. My name's Claire. I'll remember that. Will you remember this? Granite 3408. I'll try it on my phone. When? As soon as I get a spare nickel. I'll give you one. You'll run out of them that way. Uh Uh-uh. That's why I work in a bank. Kind of hard on the depositors. Your, uh, friend's late, isn't he? I can wait. Maybe he forgot. You should have tied a string around his finger. No, lady. He already had one around his neck. Well, she went back to copping nickels, and I sat down in one of the plush chairs and waited. 10.30 came, 11 came, Benda didn't. I began to get an uneasy feeling, like a bubble dancer with a slow leak. At 11.10, I couldn't take any more waiting, so I left to head for Benda's place. Outside the bank, a thin guy with a sharp head was hawking papers. I flipped him the nickel that the blonde had given me, and he handed me a daily news. I wanted to see what a horse named Larry R. had done at Belmont. 
I didn't get beyond the first page. Bender's picture was there, right next to Governor Dewey's, only Ben wasn't running for office. They found him in his room full of bullet holes. I guess he finally got a cure for that cough. I took my car out of the lot and headed for home. I mixed myself a tall one, and I was just getting to the bottom of it when a couple of guys kicked my door open. Regan? Yeah. I'm Lieutenant Anderson, homicide. This is Sergeant Pennelly. Hi. Don't you guys believe in knocking? My knuckles are sore. Mmm, nice stuff. Well, help yourself. It's out in the kitchen. Don't drink on a job. Pennelly? Me neither. The boy should have told me you were coming. I'd have called some girls. Not done a job. Benelli? I got a wife. All right, Regan, find your hat. What for? Well, you want to look nice. We're going downtown, you and me and Pete. Right, Pete? Right, Andy. No, it's too hot there. We thought of that. We'll give you a nice, cool place, won't we, Pete? Sure will, Andy. You got a warrant? Uh, no, we just figured you might want to tell us why you did it. Did what? Tell him, Pete. Knock off Ben Bender and burn his feet. You're out of your mind. Now, Regan, we know you saw Bender last night. We know you got out of a car on the corner and walked up to his place. We know you were the last one to see him while he was still alive. You got a witness? Pretty one. A girl told it. Oh, you're trying real hard, Anderson, but you haven't got anything. If you were the last one to see him alive, you're the first one to see him dead. That's how we figured. Did you figure on a guy named Al Spandy who drives a black coupe? I never heard of him. And how about a dozen other hoods who knew Bender? Now you're trying hard, Regan. You haven't even got a foundation. We got the whole building. It'll never stand up. We'll see. All right, you tell me why I did it. You private eyes get folders on bank jobs. I get them from Charles Atlas, too. Bender was in on an $80,000 heist eight years ago. He went up for carrying a concealed weapon, but the money was never found. You know that the Imperial Bonding Company's offering $5,000 for the recovery of that doll. A lion. Uh, don't make any dates tonight. You're not going to be available. All right. The lion will tell you I was working on a case when I saw Bender. Oh, we already talked to the lion. Well, what did he say? He says he hasn't seen you for five days. You are listening to the story of the man with the key. Tonight's adventure with Jeff Regan, investigator. Commissions are still available in the Army Nurse Corps Reserve. If you were a graduate registered nurse between the ages of 21 and 45, you may be eligible for a commission in the Army Nurse Corps section of the regular officer's reserve. These commissions are still available, and those who meet the high standards and qualify may elect active or inactive status. Those who request inactive status will continue with their civilian nursing duties but stand ready to serve in time of emergency. Nurses who elect active duty become commissioned officers in the regular Army. If you believe you qualify for a commission in the Army Nurse Corps Reserve, apply to the Adjutant General, Washington, D.C. And now, back to the story of the man with the key and Jeff Regan, investigator. Well, I had about as much chance as a violin player with no chin. Anderson and Pennelli took me down and locked me in one of the rooms upstairs. They didn't ask any questions. I guess they figured they had enough answers. Oh, it was a real nice fix. A dame named Dora King takes me to a con named Ben Bender. He slips me a hot key and says, meet him in a bank at 10. I'm there on time, getting the phone number of a blonde named Claire, only Ben doesn't show. Somebody burns his feet and fogs him before he can keep the date. And then there's that black coupe registered to a question mark named Al Spandy. And then the lion deals one from the bottom. Oh, it was a screwy picture, and I was right in the middle of the frame. Well, I spent the next four hours taking in some free entertainment from the drunk in the next cell. Okay, Regan, on your feet. Bastille Day? You sprung. I was getting tired of the floor show anyway. Try and make it Saturday sometimes. That's our big night. Or if I bring a date. I That guy ought to be at Ciro's. Where do you think we picked him up? Regan, I'm running out of patience with you. How many times have I told you to keep out of trouble? Why didn't you tell him I was working on a case? I went to a lot of trouble to get you out. And you went to a lot of trouble to get me in. 
<laughs> that was easy. Still got that key to Bender's safety deposit box? I got it. Tomorrow morning at 10, you're at that bank getting into the box. You're crazy. It's in Bender's name. I'll teach you how to spell it. I won't do it. Homicide might like to know you got that key. Now, you listen to me and we'll both make dough. Where I'd be, I couldn't spend it. The 80,000 bucks from the bank job Bender pulled happens to be in that box, like I think it is. Imperial bonding owes us five grand reward. I don't like it. You owe it to the company. Now, listen, you. Bender was knocked off for this key. Whoever wants it might make another try. Nobody knows you got it. Well, I'll give it to you and nobody will know you got it. Regan, I'm giving you a chance to straighten yourself out. That's right. What do you mean? I feel stiff already. Well, it was a triple play. Homicide to the lion to the black coop. I went home to wash off some of the jailhouse Lysol. When I walked in the front door, I had company. The gray flannel suit with a yellow tie was sitting on the edge of my bed. Both hands were full. The whiskey was mine. The gun was his. When he saw me, he set down the bottle and walked over and put the gun right against my neck. It felt cold, and I got kind of nervous, like a hula dancer in a forest fire. Hiya, Regan. Been waiting for you. You like my liquor? I'm a rye drinker myself. I'll bring your own next time. That ain't being sociable. You weren't invited. How could I have been? You don't even know me. You're Al Spandy. You drive a black coupe. What'd I have for breakfast? Egg, and it's all over your tie. You look hot, Regan. You have to hold that gun there. Right there. Same one you used on Bender? The same. All right, now give me, Regan. I told you, I don't have any rye. Where's the key? I don't use one. My door's always open. I'm talking about that key you got from Bender. I don't have it. Do you hear any music? Yeah, but I'll sit the next one out. No, you won't. This is a men's cheat. I'll step on your toes. I don't mind. It's a poke, and I want to do it with you. It was a long dance, but Spandy didn't get tired. I knew I wasn't going to last the evening out. And then I saw Dora King standing in the doorway facing Spandy. She was taking everything in like a Hoover vacuum cleaner on a dirty rug. She had a 25 in her hand and she knew how to use it. Thanks for cutting in, lady. I I had to do it. He, he was killing you. Yeah, I'll take the gun, huh? You know I had to do it. Yeah. Here. Go on, drink it. Yes. You want to tell me all about it? Yes. I wanted to tell you at first, but Ben wouldn't let me. He's not around to stop you. You think Sandy hurt him much before he killed him? I wasn't there. He was sick. He couldn't have taken much. Why'd you tip the cops on me? I thought you might have done it. Now I know different. Tell that to homicide. I will. You better. Spandy can't. He's dead? That's right. You still don't trust me. No, I don't. I couldn't help myself once the gun went off. Big Ben was my father. Yeah? He didn't want anyone to know. All he wanted was to give me a break. Why'd he hire me? He was afraid. Yeah, that's what he said. Regan? Yeah? May I have the key? I haven't got it. You can get it. Maybe. You know what's in that box? I think so. Well, why don't I turn it over to the police? That's my job. Like I told you, I'm Big Ben's daughter. Yeah, lady. You convinced Spandy. Well, I called Homicide and Anderson and Pinelli handled it. We all wound up downtown. It didn't take them long to find out that the gun Spandy used on me was the same one that killed Big Ben. Dora gave Anderson her story. He said it would take some fixing, but he could keep her out of the papers. It was justifiable homicide. She wouldn't even be indicted, but they had to hold her overnight. Now, it was almost daylight when I pulled to a stop in front of my apartment. I was beginning to feel a little better, but it didn't last long. When I walked into my place, it looked like the L.A. Dons had been having a scrimmage. Every corner had been going over. Oh, it didn't make sense. Bender was dead. Spandy was dead. Dora King was downtown. But somebody still wanted that key. Well, I crawled into what was left of my bed and set the alarm for 9.30. I didn't sleep much. 
I kept seeing keys and faces and $80,000 bills. Ten o'clock the next morning, Granite 3408 was still sitting behind the same desk near the same safety deposit vault. She gave me the same look. I waited for you to call last night. I spent the nickel. On a doctor? I'd like to get into my box. All right, Mr. Bender, sign here. All right. Looks like part of the new freeway. One thing about a vault, it's quiet. So is a tomb. Live alone. Yeah. You know? All right, sunshine, open your eyes. My box number is 60B. Back and wait, I can't. Easy, baby, you'll set off the alarm. You and I can make a great team, Bender. You know my name's not Bender. What is it? Regan. You and I can make a great team, Regan. Is that what you told Al Spandy? Why bring up a dead issue? What's your deal? You got Bender's key, I got the bank's key. You need both of them to open up the box. It's good so far, go on. Well, there's $80,000 there. Let's not let it go to waste. Big Ben waited seven years to open that box. Look what happened to him. I waited just as long as Ben. Seven years is harder on a girl. How'd you work it? Ben and I had a great plan. I was a cashier Ben heisted. Only I just gave him a bag full of paper. The real dough's in his box. Well, that's the safest way. Keep your money in a bank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it cooled off, both of you go in and pick up the dough together. That's the way it was supposed to work, only Ben was dumb enough to get himself picked up and tucked away for seven years. Oh, well, you made real good partners. Nobody trusted anybody. I trust you. That's why you went through my place looking for the key last night? Mm, girl's got to use her head. Besides, you might have been home. Ben and Spandy are dead. We don't have to worry about either of them. The money's still here. We got the keys that'll open the box. Can you add that? Yeah. What's the answer? About 20 years. What do you mean? That bonding company will see that you get the full load for grand larceny. You wouldn't turn me in. Don't make book on that. You and I'd make a great team, Regan. We can't lose. That's what USC thought. <laughs> Well, I called Anderson and Finelli, and they came out and picked her up. I rode down as far as the office with them. That wrapped it up. When I told the lion what had happened, he was as happy as a college boy in a harem. He got on the phone right away and called up Imperial Bonding, told him to make out that reward check for five Gs to Anthony J. Lyon. But he was real good about it. He took me for a ride in his new Nash convertible. Well... I guess he deserved it. He was really the patsy that had done all the heavy work ever since he bailed me out of jail. Because that's when I slipped Bender's key in his pocket. Jack Webb is featured as Jeff Regan with Herb Butterfield as Anthony J. Lyon. Jeff Regan, Investigator, written by E. Jack Newman and Larry Roman, produced by Sterling Tracy, is heard each week at this time over CBS. Tonight's cast included Ken Christie, Yvonne Patey, Marvin Miller, Paul Fries, and June Martell. If you are a graduate registered nurse, please listen carefully to this important message. 29,000 nurses are needed to join the new Army Nurse Corps Officers Reserve. All nurses who receive reserve commissions will benefit from the opportunity for specialized training offered to them by the Army. Inactive reserve status will not interfere with a nurse's civilian life, but the educational opportunities offered her by the Army Medical Department will be of great advantage. For further information, drop a card to the Adjutant General, Washington, D.C. Original music for this program is by Dick Aron, Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's Case Closed for this week. You can find more from Philip Marlowe, Jeff Regan, Investigator... Case Closed and all of the other Relic Radio podcasts at relicradio.com. You'll find our Shoutcast stream up and running there as well with even more old-time radio. Lots to listen to thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Can't do it without you. 
thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. <laughs>